0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the P1 Podcast. Today we've got a special treat for you all, which is a podcast we recorded for our Patreons about the infamous 2005 US Grand Prix. If you join our Patreon, you'll get one of these classic race podcasts for every race weekend. Add free pods, exclusive pods, early access to live shows, which are available now, full driver videos, access to our amazing private community Discord and much more. So sign up today at the link in the description to unlock even more of our beautiful waffle. Enjoy the episode. Hello everybody and welcome back to A Short View Back to the Past, a P1 Patreon exclusive. Sit yourselves down, grab yourself a large glass of whatever you have in the household and get ready to dive back. To the 2005 US Grand Prix, a time where Formula One really thrived, didn't it, Tom Bellingham?
1: Yes, the spoiler alert, probably most controversial F1 race of all time. Uh, And I didn't know if this would be too much of an obvious choice to do for our US episode. But boy, on the Discord, did you want this one. Um, So here we are. Spinning. You ask, we deliver. Hell yeah.
0: Unlike the tyre suppliers <laughs>
1: we... that really
0: didn't deliver. Well, Good Bridgestone one. did because they're the goats. Anyway, let's not, let's, not, let's not ruin something that happened 18 years ago. <laughs> but let's look back to what Formula 1 was like in 2005. Of course, we have already spoken about 2005 because this was the time when Kimi Räikkönen pulled off an absolute masterclass at Suzuka. However, for those of you that may not have listened to it, it was Kimi versus Fernando for the championship because Bridgestone and Ferrari had been nerfed into the ground, into the core of the earth, uh, which stopped Michael's dominance and therefore hashtag #robbed Hashtag <laughs> #void2005
1: #fa0 Fernando. Um, yeah. yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, to be fair, you're not you're not wrong in terms of the fact that. They made a set of rules that were literally how can we stop michael schumacher and ferrari winning because they've won five in a row now uh and 2004 was even more dominant uh than normal uh, and it worked um but <laughs> boy did it backfire for this one certainly did uh michelin and bridgestone uh, were the
0: tire suppliers so there was this whole tire war that we've mentioned before Um, And, shockingly, Bridgestone, that supplied teams like Ferrari, uh, were on the back foot this year. However, as you say, this was the one moment in the 2005 season where Michelin didn't have tyres
1: that could do a race. They did not. No, it didn't work out well. Uh, Just for context, so um, Bridgestone supplied just six cars, so three teams, which were Ferrari uh, who were obviously the, the the champions, but were struggling because the the tire wasn't wasn't great that year. Uh, and Jordan and Minardi, who were two backmarker teams that were battling it out for a point, which was obviously incredibly rare because you only got points up to uh, eighth, and they were both terrible <laughs> to say the least. They were awesome. genuinely yeah. like not not even you you say like we joke that oh. Alfataria, Tauri, a Robo or whatever, like we're talking like three or four seconds off the pace in qualifying. Bad.
0: But all of their Christmases came early for this particular Grand Prix weekend mm. when no one could participate. But before we get into that, uh, one set of tyres uh, could only, uh, were used for the whole race and you'd actually qualify on those tyres as well. So, you know, you've got the days <laughs> of now <laughs> where Pirelli, you know, you're changing tyres after one quali lap and all this sort of stuff they just lasted for forever uh, and that was the whole point was durability and then for for drivers to be able to push throughout a race and you know th- this was the era where we used to see drivers pretty knackered when they were up on the podium
1: yeah you uh it's funny that in this new era of uh sustainability and everything uh it was 2005 where <laughs> one tires would last you the whole race and qualifying uh whereas now there's uh what feels like eight million different tyre sets and some don't even get used in races and things like that and etc cetera, etc cetera. so um this was i guess the first piece of the problem puzzle that you had to use your uh one set of problem tires. puzzle <laughs> bit
0: of alliteration mm. from tom Bellingham this evening love to see it it is this evening by the way we're recording this at 9 p.m so as you might have mentioned uh, as we have mentioned and as you may have noticed The problem with the tyres for this US 2005 Grand Prix weekend, and the first problem we saw was during free practice two, when on Friday, Ralph Schumacher's Toyota had a tyre failure around one of the worst points on the track that you want to have a tyre failure, which was around the banking before you go over the start-finish straight and hit the wall hard.
1: Yes, uh, very hard. It was, uh, so for anyone that doesn't know the... Indianapolis Circuit. Obviously, they race the Indy Five Hundred there, which is an oval. um, But there is like an infield section where you actually do the uh, a bit of the oval on reverse. So you come around the final corner, and then you do what is essentially turn one for the Indy Five Hundred, but backwards. So you are kind of doing that banking and onto the main straight. Uh, And of course, uh, the banking um, has the the kind of wall on the side, so there is no runoff, um, which What's the thing in two thousand and five? Like still, you know, there's still circuits with runoff and and whatnot, but you can't have runoff when there's a a big old wall there. Um, and this was a massive uh, a massive accident, and uh, Ralph Schumacher was was out for the for the rest of the weekend um, because it was such a such a hard hit. Certainly was, uh, and he
0: was replaced by a man called Ricardo Zonta. Uh, who during the session also had a tyre failure, which is...
1: I think the what? maddest thing about this, by the way, when I was researching this, is he replaced him during the session. So Ralph Schumacher got injured, and then another driver just was like... Is this when they okay, had a third oh, car? Is this when they no, had a third car to no, they they jump into? Th- well, yeah, they had the third car, but it is funny that n- nowadays, obviously, we have all these rules, don't we, where it's like a driver has to be allocated into the session and be registered to take part in the weekend and stuff. Uh, and the test driver could just be like, right, you're injured. I'll hop in and do the rest of FP2. Not even, you know, it wasn't even FP3 when Zonta got in. It was literally that that session, which is pretty wild to think nowadays. So he also had a tyre failure. Where, where, where did he have that failure? Uh, that was in the infield section um, where, yeah, tyre went uh, pop and... um yeah, a first. Obviously, the fact that it was the same team and the same, uh, yeah, the, the same team. It, a lot of people, I guess, just assumed, oh, what are Toyota doing? Toyota usually low running, uh, low fuel running.
0: Uh, decided to maybe they were thinking if they were trying to do something crazy <laughs> yeah. or whatever. But um, but they weren't the only team to start having issues. And um, at the end of Friday, other Michelin runners were also having problems and it was quite clear at this stage that and this is where the conversation started to be had that perhaps there was something wrong with the infrastructure of these Michelin tires
1: yeah so obviously you only had these two failures for Toyota so like i say it didn't seem like it was going to be that much of an issue but then it was it was clear from Michelin already Uh, just from doing two practice sessions, that they were in big trouble. Uh, And this is all due to the banking, uh, which was very unique. Obviously, we have Zanvort now, but um, this was a very unique circuit. Indeed, as you've sort of alluded
0: to, turn 13, the banking, uh, was causing higher load on the tyres than usual, than what they've obviously experienced previously. Uh, Indianapolis had recently been repaved with a more abrasive surface, which therefore created even more load on the tires. And the bit that every time I come back to this story, the bit that I am actually shocked wasn't brought to light sooner uh, was that Bridgestone had data previously from a, a US feeder series. So they knew that or what kind of compound of tire that they would have needed in order for it to be one, obviously good, but two, most importantly, safe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Bridgestone were absolutely fine because they uh, supplied, like you say, US feeder series, whereas Michelin didn't. So then they got to the, the track and Michelin weren't really prepared for it. Uh, and it, it caught them, uh, by surprise. So Bridgestone had all this data and didn't have a problem with it. Um, which is crazy to think that, yeah, one tire supplier can be absolutely fine, and then one was so bad to the point where they're like, you know, can we even do this race now? I just find it mad that the conversations weren't had, at least on a safety perspective,
0: before you go and race around a ridiculously high-speed track like this with a banking and the abrasive surface and this, that, and the other, where I know British Stone and Michelin were in a tyre war, but... Surely there should have been. I know a lot of it is in the benefit of hindsight, but you would think that there would be conversations like this to in, to ensure that that
1: that the tires would be okay on the lead up to such a Grand Prix. True, but I guess Bridgestone would just like we will <laughs> we will do our job and make sure it works. And Michelin obviously mm. didn't do that, uh, and I guess Bridgestone had no idea that that Michelin would would arrive to a, a track with essentially completely the wrong uh, tyres that were not not capable of of running.
0: So now we move on to Saturday running, and there were only out and in laps for the Michelin runners, uh, which is obviously free practice three Saturday, Saturday morning, uh, which obviously started to raise suspicion even more so to perhaps people that weren't completely in the paddock uh, that there were problems with the tires and this is where more and more conversations start to start to be had Uh, and then you you roll into qualifying which was at this stage only one lap so they could get away with it um so at this point there was still a lot of ums and ahs weren't there
1: there were yeah so got into qualifying all the mission runners did set a lap they were able to (laughs) do one lap um interesting that yeah uh the fact that's yeah one lap quality uh still worked out for them and uh of all the the problems for toyota they actually ended up getting their first pole position thanks to yano truly um which as you mentioned earlier that uh, i think you mentioned it earlier that they have uh to um put their fuel load of what they were going to do um in a race uh, and there are a lot of um, <laughs> uh, there's been a lot of talk after this these events between people uh, in Toyota and that have spoken to many journalists and things uh, and rumour has it that uh, you could argue that Toyota maybe thought there wasn't going to be a race at all uh, and barely put enough fuel in f- for them to do the, the parade lap. <laughs> <laughs> it was that I lightly mean- fueled. It's not exactly. It's not
0: exactly as if that would be the first time that Toyota had under fueled a car in order to get on pole position and completely screwed their own race strategy, right? Like they absolutely loved oh, they to loved just it. stick their car where it doesn't really belong over one lap pace and just try and hope for something crazy to happen, like a safety car or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you say, Yano truly took took Toyota's first ever pole position. Uh, Kimi got P two. Uh, and Alonso was in P six, um, so I would say justi- justice for Kimi Raikkonen at this point. You know, he, he had a, he had the upper hand. Um, but behind the scenes, uh, it seemed more and more likely that the Michelin runners uh, wouldn't be able to race. But at this point, the fans were oblivious.
1: Yeah. So there, uh, until uh, the next bit, we'll get onto which was a statement from from Michelin. There's all these issues going on behind the scenes and obviously it was quite clear that it was complete panic stations to the point there wasn't even going to be a race but these fans you know turn up for qualifying and go okay yeah quali quali's done looking forward to the race tomorrow uh without knowing until this moment that things weren't quite as we seemed as they seemed things
0: again. were not right uh, no, and not this was solidified by a Saturday statement that was made from Michelin, which reads, Given the combination of oval exit speed of the F1 cars and the subsequent downforces experienced by the tyres, Michelin is not able to guarantee that such incidents would not reoccur during race conditions, and therefore Michelin is not able to guarantee the total safety of the drivers. As a result, Michelin, in total agreement with our partner teams, has asked the FIA that a chicane allowing the reduction of car speed be installed at the entrance to the oval. In this condition, the Indianapolis F1 GP will be able to take place with the tyres that were used during the qualification. That
1: didn't happen, did it? <laughs> uh, no, it didn't. Um, Lots of
0: different solutions were discussed, uh, but this one—you know—you fast forward this to 2023. It's happening without mm-hmm. a doubt. Surely, Formula One—they want a normal race to go ahead. Where nobody can ask for a refund. So yes, they would probably. Well, that's what I think anyway.
1: Well, it's quite funny that we we're, we're going to pre-record this, but it's actually quite funny that we're now recording this uh, uh, podcast after Qatar twenty twenty three. And this this statement doesn't read too dissimilar to Pirelli's one of basically being like, "Tires aren't great here. Not sure it's going to work." Very true. Um, obviously, we thankfully didn't have that um extent but you've got to kind of applaud them i guess that that they did just go look we could do all this stuff uh and carry on um but the but the the fact is that you know we'll we'll set this 18 lap uh let them change their tires and and do things like that you like you have to change your tires and they slightly configured the track slightly even if it's not as extreme as putting a chicane in um but I guess the problem here is the fact that you've got a you've got a tyre war and um, yeah. teams that uh particularly Bridgestone that have maybe felt like they've been <laughs> screwed with some regulations uh yeah that that it's not just a case of now Pirelli could just go okay that's fine whereas say I don't know say Haas were running Firestone tyres or something and you had these Pirelli issues in Qatar, Haas would be like, well, no. Like, we've bought tyres that are fine. (laughs)
0: It's very true. Yeah, Yeah, tyre war actually makes this a completely different conversation to Mm -hmm. if it was literally just a a Pirelli or or whoever. Um, So let's talk about the different solutions that were offered, and some of them are absolutely hilarious. Uh, So there's Michelin cars to run at a speed limit during the final corner, not a pit lane speed limit may i add but uh, a certain speed which i'm
1: not sure if you know exactly what speed they suggested but i don't they just said that they'd have to go slower during the banking which sounds sounds or really more more dangerous yeah i mean what a ridiculous idea we we've seen the whole issue with cars going slow uh, and the the problem and the big thing about formula 1 uh, where the biggest accidents seem to happen is when you've got that, like, difference in speed. So this this one is just, like, causing more of a, a, a safety issue from a safety issue, if you like. The next was Michelin runners to go through
0: the pit lane every lap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who who actually... I reckon Ferrari said that one. <laughs> I reckon, <laughs> I reckon they suggested it. Bridgestone were like, yeah, we'll just go through the pit lane every lap. you want to take part
1: it's quite mad that one isn't it um it'd just be a bit a bit farcical but these ones weren't really uh discussed uh too much it was just ideas thrown around i don't know if that one was ever truly serious and spoken about good like that truly on pole love that
0: (laughs) uh next one was allowing the left rear to be changed with no penalty but they would need to have literally pitted what every few so laps. many
1: times that they would have gone over the tire allocation that's something that charlie whiting uh who was the the race director at the time basically said that this isn't going to work because they're going to have to change it so much that then they'll run out of tires and then you'll get disqualified anyway so it doesn't make sense <laughs> and then the final one was the one we've we've sort of
0: mentioned and was the most popular which was a chicane to be installed between the final two corners to reduce the speed of the banking. I remember I remember, you know, as a 13-year-old Michael Schumacher Ferrari fanboy. You know, when you get when you got wind of this, absolutely not. Get in the bin. We'll have a six-car race and I'll see Michael Schumacher win the race. Let's go. That's what I felt like at the time because I knew that we'd been nerfed into the ground. I say we me Michael Schumacher and Ferrari had been
1: nerfed into the ground and this was our time to shine. Screw you. <laughs> well, it's funny you mention that because I was actually going to mention something similar late uh, later on, but I'll do it. I'll do it now before we go into kind of the talk of it. But yeah, um, Ferrari. No, no, actually, sorry. No, we won't because there's a bit a bit of talk about Ferrari. Then I'll go into it because uh, there's a bit more Ferrari talk first. Cool fact.
0: PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's dive into the next part, which is uh, the talks that were being had to find a solution on the Sunday morning before the race. So there was a meeting between the team principals to discuss a chicane being installed. Uh, Jordan and Minardi, both Bridgestone runners, agreed to the chicane being uh, installed, which is quite interesting. But Ferrari's Jean-Tot didn't even turn up, did not even bother to go to the (laughs) meeting.
1: No, he didn't. Uh, Ferrari's... uh... Ferrari's opinion on it was like well it's not our problem so we'll let them sort it out the Michelin runners and decide what what's best. Uh,
0: so just <laughs> just an hour before the race uh, they're still trying to discuss what That's they would the do the most maddening and thing and whether they're going to build a chicane. They were
1: absolutely losing their minds. Yeah, bearing in mind that, you know, we we spoke after Friday they had this worry. And then Saturday night, they have the statement saying, um, you know, that that we don't think, we can't guarantee the safety of the race and things like that. Uh, and there's a very interesting video, actually. You can watch the entire sort of build-up that ITV did. Someone's uploaded it to, to YouTube. Um, and it is absolutely maddening that the race is about to start. You know that they're on the build-up, and they're there in the pits talking about this. Will we get a chicane? Will they? Won't they? Uh, and there was talk that you what know would they have some... built
0: in an hour
1: exactly. <laughs> but there was talk cone there exactly. There was talk that um, you know marshals and things were actually there ready to to go and had been told, but they had to get obviously all the approvals and things like that. Um And uh yeah, it uh, didn't <laughs> didn't didn't work out. Uh, in the end and i kind of i kind of get why um and uh, just checking before i know we can go into into later kind of reasons why that wouldn't uh have worked um but the the, the chicane was one of those things where they all seem to think it was this great idea but like you say when there's an hour to go before the race what what are they making out of you know this this is a, a track that You know, you see nowadays there's all this FIA grade one and all this. So if they made a like a chicane that was awful and then someone plows into that chicane and injures themselves, it's even worse, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, There was also discussions about having a
0: last-minute non-championship race, uh, which was proposed where the Michelin teams could not score points even if they used a new chicane, uh, even if it meant running without Ferrari. Uh, which was incredibly unrealistic and the FIA would not agree to this. Um, so in the end, they came to no agreement, uh, but the controversy still continued between Jordan and Minardi and whether
1: they should race. Yeah, so Ferrari were, like you said, not playing ball essentially and John Todd wasn't turning up to this, the the meetings and was just kind of like, well, you deal with it, it's not a problem. Um, and Ferrari... Uh, yeah, there was talk of like when they were having these discussions between all the team principals apart from Ferrari, there was talk of like, well, let's just run a race without Ferrari then if they're not going to agree to to this and we'll do a non-championship race. It wouldn't be an FIA event. But then the problem with that is that uh, all the FIA officials, uh, you know, th- things like the safety car driver is employed by the FIA. Charlie Whiting is employed by the FIA. So like who takes their place? They couldn't do their jobs um so it wouldn't it wasn't realistic um the thing i wanted to mention about ferrari briefly is um if you watch yeah like the, the itv coverage um it's quite interesting that uh ferrari were were kind of villainized in this era as being the you know how dare they win all the time and it be so boring and uh you know uh, there's a lot of people now that are like oh British bias for the the modern broadcast and say that you know they're really anti Red Bull and stuff, but it's it's nothing compared to what they were about Ferrari. They were kind of very unapologetic <laughs> about it, about it, and it does feel like almost in this situation they made Ferrari the villains in it. And when I was uh, a kid, like you, obviously mentioning that you're a big Michael Schumacher fan, and you were like, "Oh, well, screw you." I was watching the ITV broadcast, and I remember being like, "Oh yeah, like, boo Ferrari is why? Why Ferrari doing this and stuff?" And you're being like, "Yeah, this is because I didn't support them." But now I'm kind of like looking it back with mature eyes and a fresh kind of uh head into it. I totally see where they're coming from because essentially they've been shafted out of the the rules to stop them dominating. And it's all been about tires, so they're basically gone. Well, let's make the Michelin's really good and the Bridgestone's crap. And then they get to this race where the Michelin's can't even run. And I think Ferrari have every right to be like, "Well, screw you! No, like we've, you know, you've completely shafted our entire championship campaign." No, like absolutely not. Like we're I'm not, we're not bending over backwards for you just because the, our tire rivals haven't made a tire. And it and it seemed almost like. ITV and and the, the narrative from, like, the media was like, how dare Ferrari do this when it's Michelin that should be the bad guys here, not Ferrari? So I thought that was quite interesting to to look back on and be like, well, I kind of... It's all right laughing at Jean Todd that he didn't show up and stuff. And there is a little bit of, oh, well, you know, you should respect the fans and try and put on a show. But I kind of still get where they're coming from at the same time because they, they've been absolutely screwed and it's like well you sort it out and we'll do what we need to
0: yeah i can i can understand what you're saying obviously and i was obviously as a kid being like yeah screw screw everyone go ferrari <laughs> but also you know there is an element and i'm thinking as well you know with how big formula one is nowadays that there would Don't be a ferrari slightly different now. Yeah. yeah a different outlook and you know how how fans are so integrated into the sport through social media and this, that, and the other, like be a PR disaster class. If, uh, you know, Ferrari or whatever team were to, to do something similar where it's basically like F the sport you've messed up,
1: you know, <laughs> this,
0: this massive disaster for formula one, uh, went, went ahead.
1: Oh, sorry. Just a quick one. I didn't actually mention that Jordan and Minardi, the controversy there was the fact that Jordan and Minardi both agreed, no, we're not going to race because it's farcical. Uh, and then, literally, the last minute, Jordan were like, "Oh no, no, we'll, we'll race." Actually, I think pressure from sponsors and obviously the the thinking of like we could get a podium here, uh, and then Minardi are forced to uh, themselves to race because one, they're going to get absolutely screwed uh, points wise that would that would just decide it. Basically, it's one race to decide where those two finish in the championship because they're never going to get those points again. Uh and two uh their team principal Paul Stallard was not um was he, he was very outspoken. Yeah, he's a very yeah. outspoken uh Australian guy and he wasn't very favored with the FIA and he worried that if he was already kind of a bit of a maverick and in trouble with them and he was worried that if he kind of boycotted the race then he, he, there like Minardi would be under threat from the FIA and and this kind of stuff so he went ahead as well but then had a, a very public rant on Dutch TV and swearing and saying that it's the most ridiculous race ever uh in He's a very wrong. un-PG way
0: <laughs> yeah uh,
1: but he wasn't wrong was
0: he no uh so all 20 cars took to the formation lap uh there was team radios of drivers still wanting to race that were running Michelin's. Uh, However, all the Michelin runners pulled into the pits to retire. The Bridgestone runners of Ferrari, Jordan and Minardi went into their respective grid boxes and started the race. An iconic image, to say the least. Uh, The only one that trumps that, I think, is Lewis Hamilton on the front front row of the Hungarian Grand Prix on his own. But. Yeah, that was that was not received well, especially in America. Like Formula One hasn't managed to break through in America really. It's a very important market for them to have hit and it was a disaster.
1: Yeah, if you think now that, that F one's booming in America, look at KOTA last year selling, you know, four hundred thousand tickets or whatever, this was they struggled to break the US market, they struggled to get the, you know, um uh, sell tickets for <laughs> for the event and get people to come. You'd already had a, a previous race where Schumacher and Barry Kello kind of went across the line side by side, which caused a bit of controversy and confusion and it was kinda like, oh this race is not not going to plan and it's not really Michael should have had ninety
0: two race wins. <laughs>
1: ruben but, stole that victory. <laughs> <laughs> robbed. Um but, yeah, the fact that, yeah, this this had gone was an absolute um, disaster. But one thing I find interesting now is the fact that, and maybe this is the wrong way to look at it, but when Kimi Raikkonen and Fernando Alonso are locked in a title fight, and particularly knowing how Fernando Alonso, the way he is, the temptation to do one extra lap, then pull into the pit, so you've bagged the seventh place and a couple of extra points... There's part of me that thinks maybe like a Michael Schumacher and Max Verstappen does that and just deals with the consequences later. And I think it's actually, it's, it's rare. I, I think it's incredible that every Michelin runner respected their team there and were like, yeah, okay, we'll pull into the pits and didn't try and gain some there kind of advantage. There must have
0: been an agreement there or something because if one Michelin runner goes out there and does a lap, Everyone else that's just retired is going out just for a going lap.
1: Back out, then it's yeah. two
0: laps. Then it's three laps, yeah, and then all exactly. of a sudden it's
1: absolute carnage. Yeah, which is crazy to think that that, that didn't happen. But yeah, all came into the pits. Let's like say quite a iconic thing. You do wonder if uh, <laughs> if Kimi Raikkonen was looking in his mirror, making sure Fernando's come, coming into the pit <laughs> box as well uh, as they were in that title fight. But yeah, every single every single one did. So just six cars made the start. And there were boos everywhere, fans throwing
0: rubbish onto the track and were leaving. I mean, don't blame them at all. No. Uh, although I would have been there, front row. Come on, Michael, let's go. Uh, <laughs> and then the race itself, I mean, my God, uh, it could have easily been no Ferraris finishing at all because uh, Schumacher <laughs> and Barrichello, uh, they almost collided coming out of the pits.
1: Can you imagine if that had happened? Um yeah, absolutely insane in a race that essentially only had two cars in it because they're the only two that were ever going to win because uh, they were so far ahead of the the Jordans and, and Minardis. That why didn't they just take it easy? But no, um, that they somehow managed to. I can't believe Ferrari even allowed it that they would come out the pits together from their fu- fuel stop. Um, but they did. And uh, Michael Schumacher, yeah, came out the pits only marginally in front of Barry Kello. And just kind of shoves him off um, a very, uh, yeah, uh, kind of classic Shumi move, one that maybe like a Max Verstappen would do now, where they just let them know who's boss and they run them wide. And uh, yeah, almost came together. Barrichello uh, avoided it, went over the grass. And it's insane to think we might have had a all-Jordan and Minardi podium if they used One-two, which would
0: end. have been, yeah. have been uh, quite something. Uh, But instead, Schumacher took the win because he's the GOAT uh, ahead of Rubens Barrichello. Uh, And then Montero, the one and only podium of his career. Um, And fair play to him. He celebrated it like he'd just won the World Championship. And I I do not blame him one bit.
1: No, I, I think it's unfair to kind of, it was unfair on him sort of, Laugh. Obviously, the the Ferrari drivers felt very awkward. They'd been on the podium a lot and knew it was a very difficult situation. They were were still booing at this point of about... It was literally the meme of the podium
0: (laughs) of the guy cracking open his champagne and spraying himself in the face for P3. Yeah,
1: that is funny. Like, that that as a picture, like, if you don't even need to see the footage, it's that meme, essentially. You're (laughs) absolutely going for it. And, uh, yeah. Uh, Narain Karthikeyan, P4, just missed out on the podium. And his best result in his Formula One career. Absolutely.
0: So, the aftermath, let's talk about that then, after the farce that was uh, the race that we've just spoken about. The FIA summoned the Michelin teams to court to explain their failure to enter the race. And later, there are investigations that showed that teams could have faced criminal charges. For putting others at risk, if an incident had happened, due to Indiana law, and also the case for the chicane,
1: yeah, basically, uh, <laughs> with all th- this is another reason why the chicane thing didn't go ahead. Is there's there's a lot of uh, laws for U.S. sporting events and kind of yeah being sued and who's liable and stuff like that. That that it could have been an absolute disaster, uh, even more of a disaster <laughs> if like you say they put up a chicane someone crashes the the worst uh you know bears doesn't bear thinking about but uh the worst happens and then they've put in a chicane that wasn't safe at the last minute like imagine how bad that would have been so so yeah it's easy for them to go i'll just put a chicane in but it could have also gone horribly wrong and then uh they would have faced yeah let's like, say criminal criminal charges from from Indiana law so what happened then Michelin they ended up
0: compensating all of the fans who went to the race and purchased 20,000 tickets for 2006 for people who attended the 2005 race that wanted to go i mean that is quite a substantial Formula One ticket prices aren't, weren't as, as much back then as they are now, but still a massive hit uh, for Michelin financially. Um, and then what is even more strange was the free entry that they offered <laughs> to a champ car race that
1: was held a week later. In a completely different state, yeah. Um, very odd. But, hey, they, they tried something, um, it's funny that they purchased 20,000 tickets and people would probably be like, oh, well, that's not a lot, but that's probably the attendance of, <laughs> of F1 in the 2000s yeah. anyway. So it probably wasn't that that far off the amount of fans that were actually at the track.
0: And finally, F1, they only raced at Indy two more times. And there, were, there was no sight of a US Grand Prix uh, until uh, 2012 after that so uh it was a a long hiatus for any american grand prix and now we're looking at you know, three maybe maybe 10 uh in, in a few years time because uh, america has well and truly taken formula one back with open arms due to drive to survive and the general boom of this wonderful sport
1: yes it's absolutely insane to think that if anyone was here witnessing this um you know, the whole narrative around the the race at Indianapolis, even before this was like, and I think quite harshly a lot of the time, but I guess it's those casual fans that they never hacked into, um, that, that European audiences would would kind of run this narrative of like, oh, Americans don't get F1, it's too confusing, and they don't get it and all this kind of stuff, when clearly they just needed a hit Netflix TV show to show that it's the best sport in the world Uh, instead Uh, and then they would have sold thousands of tickets anyway um and (laughs) maybe uh it was a blessing in disguise that this didn't happen when (laughs) when it was booming in america uh, and shoved it all down the toilet so
0: yeah imagine what twitter would have been like in 2005 had we uh had we seen all that go down my goodness me that would have been carnage anyway that is it. That is the end of a short view of Back to the Past. I hope you've enjoyed this P1 Patreon exclusive. Sorry, I feel like I'm doing some sort of advert and maybe even also <laughs> sort of interlinking with P1 After Dark here. But uh, Tommy, what are your final thoughts as we round out this
1: 2005 USGP chat? Um, I hope you enjoyed that one because it was uh, probably going to be one of the the chunkiest of Short View Back to the Past. It was more of a Really getting your money's game.
0: worth this this week. Absolutely, You're and that is it. Thank you everybody for watching and listening. No, not watching. You're only listening because it's a audio exclusive. <laughs> See you very soon. Lots of love. Bye. Bye. P1 is
1: a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.